Hey, Junior here. Thanks for hitting play. Whether you're into Jesus or not, I guarantee you've gotten this question before. Resurrection, isn't it just a fairy tale? Is that a fair assumption? It seems like whether you're a Christian or not, we too quickly arrive at an answer to that. You gotta admit, a lot of Christians couldn't give you much evidence to there being a resurrection. So let's talk about it. A little bit more technical today, but I think you'll find this next bit interesting and very helpful to your faith or lack of. Just give this a shot. Isn't Easter a fairy tale? Isn't it just a fairy tale? Like, come on. The Christian faith hinges on a guy rising from the dead 2,000 years ago. Where's the evidence? Like, if Christianity is actually true, you're telling me that my eternal future, heaven and hell, all comes down to some guy a long time ago walking out of the tomb. No cameras, no hospital records, no before and after pictures. Like, what do we have to go off of? The Easter, it's just got to be like this nice little fairy tale that we tell each other to feel better about death. I've heard this. I'm sure you've heard this as well. Many people have wondered this. I've wondered this. The problem is, is this question is often too quickly answered without really getting into the details of the story. And, and so let's do that today. Let's just get into the details. It's Easter. It's no better time. Uh, this, will be, this will be a lot of fun. Now, usually we stick with one passage of Scripture, but I'm going to jump around the, the Gospels today just to get a few different perspectives. And so I'll, I'll put the verses up here uh, on the screen. Now, if you have your Bible in front of you, which is great, uh, maybe you're thinking, dang it, Junior, it's Easter, I want to use my Bible. That's fantastic. Uh, you should use your Bible other days as well. Um, but if you want to follow along, and, and, and you should if you got your Bible, uh, John 20 and Mark chapter 16 is where we're going to be at today. But I always feel so much better praying before we jump into this. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for Easter. God, I thank you for what it means. Father, we confess that so many of us, and we have so many friends and family members that really wrestle with just the idea of the resurrection being true. This is a hard thing for us to grasp. I thank you that we're not alone. That just as we're about to see, the first people on scene struggled and wrestled with this too. Father, I ask that you reveal yourself to us like you did to your early followers uh, that Easter morning. We pray for um, guidance from you that you illuminate this text to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as the lens of Scripture zooms in, we enter a mountain city called Jerusalem. A faint orange hue rests on the horizon as the sky anticipates the rising of the sun. The city is still asleep, but down one of the dark alleyways, a, a woman pops her head out of the doorway. She sets a burlap sack down on the stoop, and she quietly and softly closes the door behind her so as not to awake the sleeping house. And she walks down the alleyway very lightly, trying, trying not to make too much noise as her sandals slap the cobblestone street. As the moonlight hits her face, you can see her, her puffy, bloodshot eyes, not from a lack of sleep, but from crying these last three days. As she turns the corner, she steps off the limestone street into a grassy garden. The fog hangs low, the cold dew hitting her feet, soaking into the leather of her sandals. She has a meeting set up this morning. At dawn, she will meet a few other women to anoint Jesus' body, but she's a little early, Miss Miss. 
timed the sunrise. Yeah, whatever, better early than late. And so maybe she'll sit in front of the tomb and, and just try to catch up with, with the events that happened over this weekend. And Jesus' best friend John brings us into the story. He writes this, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the tomb had been taken, or saw that the, the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Now notice if you have your Bibles in front of you, know what happens next. You think the resurrection is hard to believe, so does this girl. Her first thought is not here, is not, hallelujah, he's risen. That's not going through her mind at all. Instead, she runs off. She doesn't even check the tomb, though I, I don't blame her. I mean, it's still dark. You don't go into a tomb at dark. We've all seen the movies. So she just takes off, finds a couple disciples, and look what she says. This is her first conclusion from seeing the empty tomb. They have taken the Lord. Somebody took him out of the tomb, and we do not know where they've laid him. Now, she has heard Jesus say, he, and he, he said he was going to do this. Jesus said three different times, I'm going to pull off Easter. I'm going to pull off Easter. I'm going to pull off Easter. But her first reaction is, nah, somebody must have taken the body. Because that's what dead people do. They stay dead. And while all of this is going on, Mark, who adds a different perspective to this whole story, he writes that the other two women who Mary was going to meet, uh, Mary's going to meet them, they came walking to the tomb. And look what Mark writes. He writes, and looking up, they, the other two women, saw that the stone had been rolled back. And then Luke, who thoroughly investigated everybody and questioned everybody about this story, he tells us that these two women, they walk inside the tomb and they see that the tomb is empty. And here's what you need to know. They didn't assume a resurrection either. Not one of Jesus' followers at this point assumes resurrection. You ever struggle with the resurrection? You ever wonder that hey, you're not alone? Welcome to the club. At this point, the sun is starting to warm up the garden. The birds, they sing and they, they chirp. And, and in one of the shadows casted by one of the trees, in one of the shadows, Mary Magdalene, the first woman, begins weeping. And look what happens. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Look at this. Supposing him to be the gardener. She's still not putting this together. Supposing him to be the gardener. She said to him, Sir, if you have taken and carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Again, her mind is so far from resurrection. She's not even thinking that. And I love Jesus' response. This is one of those moments in Scripture that I, that I wish I could just hear. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbi, which means teacher. It was Jesus who said, my sheep, they hear my voice and, and I know them by name. And you can see this happening right here. But she never thought resurrection until he stood in the garden in flesh. It's the Easter story. Now, I don't know about you. Sometimes, though, I, I wish a little bit more was written. Like, what happened early that morning before the first woman, Mary, before she got to the garden? How did Jesus come out of the tomb? Like, I want the juicy part. I want the details. I want the fireworks. How did Jesus emerge from the tomb? How did all of that go down? Like, tell us. 
Maybe something like, you know, as the first ray of sunlight touched the city, the garden dew sparkled, reflecting the first light. The sky mostly dark, the, the, the fog glowed orange. Inside the tomb, the, the wrapped body, chest cavity suddenly moved as Jesus drew his first breath. A cloud of condensation rose above the face shroud as he exhaled. When his feet touched the cold stone floor, one soldier said to the other, did you hear something? Then bam, the large stone flies back, almost rockets out of the groove in the ground. A beam of light shoots out of the tomb. The soldiers fall back. They are no match for whatever this is. Suddenly, a nail-scarred hand emerges from the entrance, the light shining through the holes in his wrist as he grips the side of the doorway. Jesus steps out and looks at Jerusalem with a smile. What held this world captive has now retreated back to where it came from, hell. It's a new day, it's a new life, and Jesus has just reclaimed dominion over the earth. Something like that would be really cool. Why don't we get those details in this story? And the answer to that actually gives credibility to the story. This is an eyewitness account. It's as if Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all saying, this is what we know. This is, this is what was seen. This is journalistic integrity, which is kind of foreign to us today, but, but we're seeing it right here. It's as if the gospel writers are saying, I'm not trying to sell anything. I'm not going to spice things up to compete with mythology. I'm just telling you what happened because what happened is the greatest thing that could ever happen. And so we're just documenting what we saw. And, and there's something there. If this were a fairy tale, the truth is, if this were a fairy tale, come on, it's just, it's got a bad ending. The women, they go to the garden, the tomb is empty. Happy Easter. That, that, that wouldn't fly as far as selling anything during this time. Because all mythologies during this time, legends and tales, all of them focused on power because this was a society driven by power so if you want to sell copies write a fairy tale during this time if you want to sell those copies you wouldn't write this right here this just wouldn't sell no you would include as much power as you could because that's what sells in the society but this but not here the sky doesn't split open jesus doesn't come out of the tomb and like jedi all the roman soldiers just, it's not like a, a, an army of angels swirled the tomb, creating this angel tornado lifting the body out of his grave. None of that is written here. I mean, he probably would have sold more stories to the masses, like the Romans and the Greeks during this time. They love that kind of stuff. But the writers, they didn't write that. It's like they're saying, maybe that happened. We, we didn't see it happen, so we're just going to tell you what we saw. And the ending of this story is a bit anticlimactic, especially for this society. It, it, it's a little odd, but it gives credibility to the authorship. Each writer is giving eyewitness accounts, and they're careful to not go beyond that. Also, if this were a fairy tale, Jesus, Jesus said he was going to do this three times. Main character spoils the ending. It's just a bad ending. If, it, if it's a fairy tale, it's just a bad fairy tale, unless it's something more. Let's talk about the eyewitnesses. Uh, if this were a fairy tale, if Easter were a fairy tale, it's just got some bad eyewitnesses. 
Who were the first people on scene? Women. Who, were the, who was the first person to talk to the resurrected Jesus? Mary, a, a woman. And here's why this is important. And ladies, please give me some grace. These are not my views. I live in a house full of females. I'm a minority in a sorority. I am in your corner. Uh, this is simply the first century view. You don't pick women to be your eyewitnesses to the empty tomb. You just don't do that. Nobody during this time would listen to them. Their testimonies would not hold up in court because they're women. Now, for example, Josephus, a historian during this time, he's not a biblical writer, he's a historian, a well-respected historian, he wrote that a women's words were not trustworthy. They would not hold up in a court of law during this time. According to the Jewish leadership at this time, the, the Talmud, not the Bible, these are just extra rules for Jewish living, it stated that a woman's word and witness is not to be given weight. Now, guys, just a little advice, don't ever use that when you're arguing with a, women, with a woman. I don't want to do your funeral. But in all seriousness, if this were a fairy tale, if this were just some made-up story to sell whatever, you don't pick women to be your first eyewitnesses, especially to the major event of the story. You just don't do that. Unless that's what happened. I mean, Mary and Mary, Scripture says Mary and Mary are first on the scene. If this is fiction, at least pick different names. Mary and Margaret or something. I mean, come on. Unless those were their names and that's what happened. Let's talk about the location of Easter. If this, is a, if this were a fairy tale, this is just, it's got a bad location for the fairy tale. Followers of Jesus document this story in the city where it all happened. You can't get away with that. Think about it this way. Uh, if we wanted to start a cult, and we're not going to. I've been, uh, I want to make that very clear. We're not starting a cult. I've been told I look like a cult leader already. We're not going to do this. But for the sake of illustration, uh, hang with me. Uh, let's just say we decided that we're going to start a cult. We're going to start up this fairy tale um, story, and we're going to make a cult. And so we make up a bunch of stuff. You know, let's say uh, we make up stuff like, I do miracles. You know, I can vanish in thin air, and I fed everybody at our church's food pantry with a cracker. And we just, we make all of this up, and we tell everybody, I'm like, I'm like this god, so to speak. We could not start this cult anywhere around here. We couldn't do it. Because many of you know me. Many people around here know who I am, and they would say, nope. We know the guy. He's kind of an idiot. He ain't God. No, he can tell a good story, but that's about it. He's pretty much useless otherwise. We'd have, to, we'd have to go away to start that because that's what cults do. They get a few, few buy-ins, and then they go far away and get it rolling. So uh, you think about cults, um, the, uh, the People's Temple, you know, Jim Jones, that whole thing, uh, Rajneesh, the Branch Davidians, all, all these cults did this. They get a few followers, and then they go elsewhere where nobody really knows the leader. That's how cults operate. you got to get away from where the people really know the guy. Followers of Jesus started this movement where everybody knew Jesus, where it all went down. You don't do that unless that's what happened. And this is how the spread of Christianity just took off like wildfire, because now you have cities, right after the resurrection, cities were testifying to it. Oh yeah, before his resurrection, he came to our town. Like, he's legit. He performed those miracles. If this were a fairy tale, this fairy tale would have been squashed immediately, because it started where it all happened. The goal, if you want to start a fake story, you get away from the city, you get away from the location, 
And, and then you start the story and you get it rolling. By the time it makes it to the location where it's all about, it's just too popular to squash. It's just too big of a beast to take down. This story started where it all happened. All it would take is for these people in town in Jerusalem to, to, to say is, no, none of that happened. Well, there was no earthquake on Friday. We have no idea about that. There was no midday darkness on Friday. None of us saw that or felt that. Oh, and look, the body is still in the tomb, by the way. That's all that it would take, just one of those statements. Instead, this grew from the location where it happened because all the eyewitness accounts, they lined up. Let's also talk about, speaking of tomb, let's also talk about uh, the tomb. If this were a fairy tale, if this were a fairy tale, it's just, it's a bad tomb to choose for this fairy tale. Now, if church is your thing, or, or maybe you've heard this story before, uh, do you remember whose tomb this was, which tomb this was? It was Joseph of Arimathea, right? You know who Joseph of Arimathea was? Look at this. This is uh, Mark 15, 43. It says, Joseph of Arimathea, look who he was, a prominent member of the council. Why does this matter? Well, this council that he's a part of was the council that played a part in condemning and executing Jesus. Let's think about this. If this were a fairy tale, you would not use Joseph of Arimathea as one of your characters for this story. You wouldn't include the opposition to be part of the protagonist. I mean, that's just ludicrous. It's just bad writing. Because because Joe's buddies, the council that condemned Jesus, all they would have to do is say, yeah, we know Joe. Uh, he, didn't, he, he didn't lend out his tomb. Oh, and if he did, there's his body right there. But there was no dispute. This council didn't even stand up and dispute the resurrection. You also wouldn't use Joe's tomb as a detail because Joe is well known throughout, throughout Jerusalem. He's a respected man throughout Jerusalem. A lot of people know who Joe is. They know his family. They probably even know where the tomb is. So people could just read this story at first and they could easily go across the street and say, hey, Joe, is this true? And then they go check out his tomb. So you don't use a prominent member of society who's close with the opposition and use him as the protagonist. You just don't do that. Again, that's bad writing. Unless that's what happened. Another uh, level to this tomb is, is if, if, the body, if the body were still in the tomb, this tomb would be a shrine of Christianity that people would pilgrim, make pilgrimages to and worship at. Uh, this is what, this is what um, people do with, with Buddha's grave. This is what people do with uh, Muhammad, where Muhammad is buried. It's like this shrine of worship. Christianity doesn't have that. And I know some people may say, you know, well, there's the, there's the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem. No, that, that didn't start until the 4th century in Jerusalem. So Constantine, a little history behind that. Constantine is a Roman emperor. He became a believer, and he wanted to find out where Jesus rose from the dead. And so what Constantine did is he, told his, he, he sent his mom to Jerusalem 300 years after Jesus rose from the dead, he sent his mom out there to find out where Jesus uh, resurrected. And she did all this research, and even with all the research she did, she wasn't 100% sure where the place was. Why? Because the tomb didn't matter a ton to early Christians. There was no body. So what does it matter? It's empty. It's not like, it's not like Christians were making pilgrimages to this tomb or encasing it in gold. It just didn't matter to them very much. Nothing was in there. You think about this, for the first 300 years, Christians didn't really care too much about the tomb because they had seen the risen body, or they had known people who had seen the risen body. So the tomb, whatever, there's nothing to it. There's nothing in it. Now, don't get me wrong, I, I lead trips to Israel 
And, uh, and we'll go to potential spots, you know, where the tomb might be, and it's fun to go inside and imagine what it was like, you know, that morning. But at the end of the day, we're just not quite sure because there was no body, and so nobody took the time to, like, mark out the site. One more element um, that, that would uh, make this a bad fairy tale is if this were a fairy tale, it's just, it's got a bad happily ever after. The writers of fairy tales make money off the story. That's the point, right? If you're going to write a book, you, you, you make money. Uh, if the story does well, you get a lot of money and you get a lot of fame. Uh, the opposite happened here. Outside of Judas, all of the disciples were tortured and, or killed for their faith. All of them. Uh, history has it that Peter, and Peter's kind of like the leader of the disciples, after watching his wife be crucified because she would not recant her faith, he was then crucified after her. The last words documented in history, it's not in scripture, but in history, the last words that Peter spoke to his wife as she's being crucified was, honey, remember Jesus. Remember our Lord. You, you, don't, you don't hold on to that if it's a fairy tale. You don't say that if it's a fairy tale. You don't, you don't go through all that if it's a fairy tale. You don't say that to another conspirator if it's a fairy tale because it's just a fairy tale. A disciple, John, uh, Jesus' best friend, he was boiled in oil. Then he was, ex uh, he was uh, exiled to the shadeless island of Patmos to sit in the sun with his blisters. You, you don't do that for a fairy tale. Bartholomew was crucified upside down. Andrew was murdered. James is beheaded. Again, you don't do that for a lie. As soon as a lie begins to cost us, we fess up to the lie. That's why there's that popular quote, three may keep a secret if two of them are dead. The disciples, as well as the other eyewitnesses, many of them were tortured. They lived poor, persecuted lives. They just wouldn't shut up because they saw what they saw, and it was worth it. Fairy tales always have happily ever afters. Not this one. It's quite the opposite. See, the truth is, this just can't be a fairy tale. It can't be. It's just... It's a bad fairy tale. It has a bad ending. It has bad witnesses. It has a bad location. It has a bad... It, there's, no, there's no happily ever after. Easter is a bad fairy tale. But it is a beautiful fact. If it were a fairy tale, it would have been squashed immediately. There's no powerful details to appeal to the Greek legends. The, the people in town, they would, have just dis, they would have discredited the facts. They would have proven it wrong. The followers would have recanted after being tortured. It would have been the poorest written fairy tale ever. Oh, there's just too much evidence. It's a beautiful fact, a historical event. But it's more than that. See, we don't gather right now. We're not doing online church right now to memorialize a historical event. We are doing what we are doing right now because of this. The empty tomb is an invitation to a full life. The resurrection is more than just a historical event. It's more than just a fact. It is an, it is an invitation to a full life. Easter doesn't mean we just get heaven when we die. Easter means we get life right now it's the song that we sang at the beginning of the service that we started the service out with easter means the dry bones of our heart begin to rattle something awakes within us our, our spirit our soul a reconnection to, to god and we can for the first time really live the tomb is empty 
It's inescapable. Jesus pulled off Easter, not just so that we get heaven someday, but so that we can have a piece of heaven right now. Life to the fullest. Meaning, purpose, a reason to breathe. How many of us signed on to church this morning in desperate need of real life? It's been long enough. This search that you've been on to fill that void, this emptiness that you carry, deep down you know you're living, but you're not really living. And the truth is, you need Easter. The tomb is empty because who resided in there wants to reside in you and breathe life into yours. For something in you to awaken your spirit, to feel a connection with your creator. It's that God-sized void in, in your life that you've been trying to fill. And it's available to you because the tomb is empty. There's, just, there's, there's no getting around it. Jesus pulled off Easter. The question is, what are you going to do with that? Now, right after Jesus resurrected, many, many, many people believe that Jesus resurrected. Even those who put Jesus to death believe that Jesus resurrected. I mean, just, there's just too much evidence. He's right there. They believed the empty tomb, but they never embraced it. And I wonder if that might be you. You know, you signed on to church, and you're not against all this. You, you like the idea of Easter. You like the idea of, of, you know, Jesus. You might even believe that Jesus rose from the dead. I, I just wonder if, if the gospel, the good news, what Jesus has done, if it's here, but it's not here. Like, you cognitively embrace it. It's in your head. It makes sense. But it's not embraced by your heart. It's not this invitation that you've actually taken. It's, it's nothing that you've actually acted upon. How many people miss out on a full life by eight inches? How many people miss heaven by eight inches? Because what Jesus did is here, but it's not here, eight inches away. The distance between your head and your heart. And how many people today walk around thinking, you know, I believe it. Jesus died, rose again. That's cool with me. I got no problem with that. But it's not a fact you carry. It's not this all-pervasive invitation that you've taken heaven forbid that be you but is it the empty tomb it changes people the empty tomb is not just a historical event it is an invitation what are you going to do with it Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, would you give it a share? It goes a long way. Also, don't forget to subscribe if you haven't yet. Hey, God has something for you today. Go after it. Blessings. Blessings.